0: Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. Yesterday was day one of the Republican National Convention. Uh, Some of it, of course, done virtually. Not a whole lot of it, though. A lot of live speeches, uh, as we were promised. Uh, As it started out, uh, the GOP actually promised an uplifting night. Uh, Not so sure that's uh, something that they accomplished. Uh, ABC's Alex Stone reports. The
1: night coming to a close with Senator Tim Scott, the only black Republican member of the
0: Senate. Joe Biden said if a black man didn't vote for him, he wasn't truly black. Joe Biden said black people are a monolithic community. It was Joe Biden who said poor kids can be just as smart as white kids.
1: Republicans tried to show their party as accepting to anybody wanting the American dream. Tonight, Melania Trump will give the main speech. Alex Stone, ABC
0: News, Washington. Thank you, Alex. Uh, somewhat of a surreal night uh, for those of us watching it. Uh, d- d- and uh, I want to bring John Josh Pasik into the conversation. Uh, Mr. Pasik is an Associate Professor of Communication and Media, uh, faculty associate in the uh, Center for Political Studies and core faculty Michigan Institute for Data Science at the University of Michigan. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us again this morning. Thanks for having me again. Uh, almost a surreal night last night, and I, I guess... Off the top, if there was ever any doubt that uh, the Republican Party has become the party of Donald Trump, uh, I think any doubts were erased last night, and yesterday for that matter.
1: Indeed. I mean, it it was really clear that there was no discussion of what Republicans will be doing. It was discussions of what Donald Trump will do and what, you know,
0: Trumpism is. Uh, especially, and I think what I underscored that most of all was the announcement, which I think surprised an awful lot of people, uh, that there, there will be no policy discussion, no policy debate, no policy platform from Republicans. They basically just said, look, whatever Donald Trump wants, we're going to support. That's all there is to it. Which is highly
1: ironic in this case, too, because if you look at the platform that they readopted from 2016, it criticizes the current president.
0: okay you're you're expecting they actually read it before they did that uh with that not a whole lot of reading goes on in this administration i think we've come to learn that over the last uh, three and a half years but it it just seems almost surreal not it's but it's you know i I know that there have been some concerns and some people have actually criticized uh, uh some of the observers that have said well this is really a cult following but that's a that's a classic characteristic of it isn't it
1: i mean it's not that abnormal that leaders create um, you know, a sort of group of people who are invested in them directly. But that is very much what Donald Trump has gone for. And that's been a lot of his career, in fact, that, you know, he made himself the object of interest for people um, and succeeded in bringing some people into the Republican Party who might not have been based on his own personal characteristics.
0: But the picture they painted, though, of, of America, you know, their 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 interpretation, I guess, of, of how the Trump administration handled COVID nineteen, for instance, uh, seemed to be much different from the reality. As a matter of fact, it was much different from the reality about about the statistics, about the one hundred eighty five thousand people that have already died. Uh, it's you know, this was a mission accomplished. Basically, was seemed to be the tone when they talked about COVID.
1: Exactly, they they are. Pouting it as if what they've done is save tons and tons of lives um, when that's not the experience of much of the rest of the world looking at the United States, at least where the United States has at least compared to any other similar country fared much
0: more poorly. And, and, I mean, there were similar situations about painting the picture of what America is like. Uh, it's almost, uh, Professor, as if they seemed oblivious to the fact that a lot of the stuff that they were complaining about, what's happening with uh, with civil unrest and, and a number of other things that they wanted to blame on the Democrats, uh, the reality is it's happening on Donald Trump's watch. I mean, he doesn't seem to want to take any accountability for it. I mean, as, as he said many, many times, it's not my fault. None of the stuff that's going on here is my fault.
1: Yeah, well, I think there's, there's an accountability question here. There's a question of, of Donald Trump's even ability to run as an incumbent. He seems sort of unable to take on the role of being an incumbent and so wants to run as an outsider, even when he is, in fact, um, the current president. Um, and then there's this element to which he's playing very much to a base and to a base that can be told, hey, look at where this stuff that we're telling you is horrible is happening. Right. It's happening in the cities. Right. And the cities become this object that is what democratic rule would look like, um, even though the portrait that's painted of American cities is wildly inaccurate.
0: Well, and we saw that, I guess, with the little uh, five- or six-minute segment with the the gun-toting McCloskeys. Uh, They're the ones, of course, that waved their firearms uh, earlier this year at a Black Lives Matter protest, a peaceful protest, by the way, Uh, essentially warning, I guess, uh, Americans, especially in the suburbs, that if you elect a a Democrat, uh, that's what's going to happen in your neighborhood. You know, there's a picture that they're painting, which is very much along the lines of what Donald Trump is saying. And and I suppose you're absolutely right. There's an audience there that are going to take this hook, line, and sinker no matter what they say.
1: I think that's right. I don't know how well it's actually going to play in suburbs in general. Most suburbs are enough linked to the cities that they're near that people are pretty aware that this is an inaccurate picture. But in rural America, I think this is going to play much more effectively.
0: Uh, which is where he'll, a lot of his base is. But does he even have his, as the descriptor of what might be happening in, in in you know the suburban suburban areas, especially some of the larger cities, professor? Uh, I I mean, he's saying, you know, that there's going to be low-income housing. You're going to have people of color moving in. I mean, the inference is quite racist, actually. But the reality is there there are mixed races in those suburbs already. This is not June Cleaver that we're talking about in suburban America these days.
1: Well, it's it's much better than it used to be. But there's actually a surprising amount of racial segregation still in the United States. And we, we tend to sort of pretend that it's not the case because it's not officially mandated. Um, but if you look at how schooling systems um, map themselves out and what the distribution of races is in various different areas, the United States is still a surprisingly segregated country, not by law, of course, but by, um, you know, housing patterns and where people have moved. And in many ways, the original flight to the suburbs, um, which this campaign sort of hearkening back to, was... A campaign about moving white people out of cities so that they didn't have to be near all those colored folk um, was essentially the idea.
0: Will that message resonate, though?
1: I think among some people. There's there's an awful lot of sort of America's original sin left in this country, and we'll have to see what happens.
0: Uh, uh, interestingly, uh you know when you look at the numbers and i know the latest cnn poll still has uh, joe biden nationally with a nine percent lead uh nine point lead rather over over donald trump it's a lot tighter in some of the uh, key state races including michigan and, and ohio and places of that nature uh and you have to wonder about whether or not he can grow that base i mean you know his victory in 2016 i think to a large extent had a lot to do with the fact that some democrats that didn't like hillary clinton uh might have voted for trump many of democrats that didn't like hillary clinton just didn't vote period so he's got to grow that 35 or 38 or 40 percent or whatever it is to actually win again uh is this kind of rhetoric going to do that
1: i I mean i think there's a a strategic calculation here which is that what what the trump campaign is trying to do is it's trying to find any way it can to convince voters who would vote for biden not to show up and to convince voters who would vote for trump to show up and it's all about turnout. it's not really about convincing those people who might be on the margins Now, the Biden campaign seems very interested in trying to reach out to disaffected Republicans and people toward the middle of the spectrum to bring them in. Um, But both are ways to build a coalition. United States voter turnout is typically not all that high, right? And so the ability to bring in additional voters who would already be in your camp but might otherwise not vote is actually potentially an effective move.
0: Professor, uh, thank you so much for the time today. Great to get your perspective. Uh, a few more days of this convention, and uh, we'll, we'll look at, and just see how the American public responds to it after we've fed both sides to uh, to compare, contra- compare and contrast, I would imagine. Thanks so much for this today, Professor. Thanks for uh, having me. Professor uh, Josh Pasek from the University of Michigan. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.